and we're rolling. All right, Dom. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to waste your time. I feel I, like I I've, appreciate that. I feel like I've. We we have a one of our big common understandings between the two of each other is wasting time is not something we either particularly enjoy doing with most, if not all, aspects of our life. Sure. So unless unless, unless we're intentionally trying to waste time. Correct. There, there's a time and a place. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna shoot you straight. Lil Yachty, heard of him? Yeah. SoundCloud rapper uh, um, of our generation. Yeah. Our age, 25 year old. Yeah. Kind of uh, known for his more, um, I, I wouldn't say lighthearted style of music, but just kind of, uh, 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 kind of like candy. It's very sweet. And maybe not like when you think of like all time rap, you don't think of Lil Yachty. Correct. So when I tell you that Lil Yachty has made the first great album of 2023. I, okay. I have a couple of thoughts. I'll do you one better. Not only is it the first great album of 2023, this album is a game changer for the genre that he is reaching for. What is in what is that? This album. What genre is he reaching this for? This album I don't even know what genre you would fit it under because it still follows some rap conventions, but by and large, it is a psychedelic rock album that I don't think anyone has tried to do, or at least has tried to do who has this much of an impact on music. Because like it or not, Lil Yachty is a very impactful artist. He has a lot of he has a lot of followers. A lot of people listen to his stuff. He's all he he's there. He's a very popular rapper. But this album, no one has tried doing what he did on this album. Since probably Kid Cudi and Speeding Bullet to Heaven, which was a very rock-oriented album. The difference between these two albums is that Kid Cudi's album was just kind of a throw it at the wall and see what happens. And this album, I, dude, I, I, am, I know this sounds, I know you're, you're looking at me like I'm clowning you. This album is one of the most cohesive in beautifully made albums I have heard from a guy who started off as a rapper and decided, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck around and do this this time. And it's not like he needed a, a career change up or like needed to do something. People were listen, still listening to his music. He's still very popular doing what he was doing. And I think the fact that he was like, you know, I'm gonna fuck around and do this. I think it'll make this album one of his lesser popular albums because of how different it is. Because people who are so dedicated to like his regular style will be like, eh, it's not really the Lil Yachty I know. That is this album's greatest advantage. Is you, I, I shit you not. You listen to the first track on this album and you think this isn't Lil Yachty. Like, there's no way. There's no fucking way. This is him. And he shares writing and producing credits on every single song. The best part, though, is that the people he gets behind on the production, the, behind each track on the production, are people where when you hear the sound, you hear the style, you hear the genres that are influencing the album as a whole, you go, oh, the, this is why this sounds so good. Because he got a producing team behind this album that cares about the genres he's trying to 
he's trying to uh, bring out in each track. I'm serious. Okay, you're okay, looking. Listen. You're looking well, at me no, like I'm on it's, drugs. I, it's because I have a couple of thoughts. Okay. Um, I believe you that you're serious. Good. Now, thank you. Also, um, I appreciate when artists do something different in music, mm-hmm. especially rap artists, because the rap genre over the last few years has become kind of tired, kind of stale. So I I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that level of kind of branching out. If yeah. you will, taking rap and like just doing something creative, not necessarily different, because like other rappers have tried to like influence psychedelic rock into their Kid Cudi is my the primary example okay. for me that I think of off the top of my head. But this sounds nothing like what Kid Cudi would have done. I, and honestly, I don't, I don't expect it to. But here's here's the thing. I think two things are also true. I haven't listened to this album, obviously. Right. Two things are true. One is that never in my life have I been like, you know what I can't wait for? The new Lil Yachty album. Dude. And I get I get he has fans. And yeah. you know what? I've I've listened to some of his more popular songs. Hey, I, Broccoli I, I, Broccoli there, is still an absolute all time banger. There there aren't many people I think that have done like deep dives into Lil Yachty. Right. Except for like his his top fans. Now <laughs> the other thing Another reason why I probably haven't listened to this is I have never been like, you know what I'm really excited for? To find some new psychedelic rock music. That is what gets me stoked, right? So I'm I'm not I'm not necessarily doubting you. I'm gonna listen to it now. You should. However, consider me a skeptic. Dom, what's funny is this is a review for a movie. Because but- because because Lil Yachty isn't even I, I get he, he's not one of the premier names in rap. His name maybe so, his yeah. music not so much. Correct. So I suppose I can be skeptically optimistic that like what he did with this is actually really cool. Um but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that it, the, he was starting kind of at a disadvantage in my eyes yeah. for what his music can be, for what Dom, his potential is. This is why I, I said I, I have a hot take for you because I feel like a lot of people would maybe not necessarily fully agree with you because like you said, he has a lot of fans and a lot of people really do love his music, but I feel like the majority of especially like casual music listeners hear Lil Yachty and go, yeah, he's got a couple good singles, but like who fucking cares? Like it's not, he just doesn't make the music I like to listen to. This is... I, what we're going to do is we're going to do our review that we set out to do. And once we're done recording, we're going to listen to just the first couple minutes of the first track because I want you to f- experience what I experienced. I know it's not going to be the same because unlike me, you're you're, prob- do- no, you're doing too much right now because now I'm expecting something that is completely out of this world, mind-blowing like I've never heard before because that's it, how you're hyping up this it, song. It and, if, and if that doesn't hit me within the first couple minutes... You and I are both going to be disappointed. So I ne- you're doing a little too much with this right I now. Ca- I guarantee you I'm because not. Because it's... I guarantee you're, you're, you I'm You're not. worrying me, okay? Oh, this is going to be so much fun. <clears throat> it's going to be I ho- so much I fun. I hope so. For your sake and for the sake of Lil Boat, I hope so. Lil Boat. Thanks, Lil Boat. Okay. Let's get on to the fucking review. What are we talking about? What We're talking review? about um, Knock at the Cabin. 
Knock at the cabin. Well, uh, I'd knock, but I don't want to. I don't want to uh, disturb Leo. A little M Night Shyamalan. M Night Shyamalan is, um, one of my absolute all-time favorite direct. He's probably the only director that I love that has also consequently made some of the most disappointing movies ever. Sure. Like he had a run there from like '05 to. Whenever the last Airbender came out, it's like 2012. It wasn't. It basically wasn't until like Split that he came back onto the scene. Yeah, to well, the degree was, that we kind of expected from it, him. For me, it was The Visit, which came out right the year before Split, and it was like a it was like a self produced found footage style. He completely produced it himself. Got no other, from what I, I at least from I'm if I remember correctly got no other money for the movie from anyone uh, like he he like again so like did the whole thing himself and it it was like a return to form for him kind of people were like this is the Shyamalan we've been like wanting it's not perfect and it's not as it's not quite as good as the classics that he made in the late nineties and early two thousands but it's like he's finally like course correcting a little bit and like getting back to where people know he know he like it, 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 it was getting him back to it like something he was capable of that everybody knew he was capable of but like it, he hadn't seen it since in a long time and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was doing shit like again like um um last airbender or um what was the other big uh he did another big IP that wasn't like an original story. But anyway, regardless, it was in that moment where I was like, oh, maybe he's okay. Maybe he's, maybe he's, and then split came out and people were like, holy shit. Like, all right. Like M night, M night's got it. Yeah. People, people, myself included loved split who weren't even familiar with the unbroken story. Oh yeah. And that was the, that was the greatest part. Like, I remember I remember seeing Split opening weekend back in 2016 and I I remember that little that that twist at the end there were probably like it was a decently packed crowd there were probably like 40 or 50 of us in there probably 10 less than a quarter like were all just audibly like holy shit yeah and the other the other 80% were like I don't get what's happening, but it was still pretty fucking. Well, sweet. that was one of the that was one of the cool things about Split is you didn't really need to be familiar with that world, um, and he kind of created new fans of it so right. that when Glass came out, yeah, um, he had he had fans from. 2000 and right. fans from 2016 that were yeah. invested in in his story. And the great thing about Unbreakable too is when it came out in 2000, I think it wasn't as well renowned as it is now. Like uh, Unbreakable now is cons- like widely considered as like one of the best, most unique superhero movies ever made. Because it's one of the only superhero movies that exists that's about a person who has super abilities that doesn't really know and doesn't believe he does. Sure. And that that in its own right makes it unique because there aren't many movies out there that that follow that that kind of pattern or that kind that explore that kind of idea. So I, I remember when, like when it came out in two thousand, it was it was positively reviewed, but people didn't like people didn't get it yet. And I think after the the onset of the MCU and the DCEU and all of these crazy superhero IPs and these 
these massive, you know, these crazy, um, um, what's the word? Not, not, uh, not genres. These like big stories, these universes, these cinematic universes. That was I was thinking of these cinematic universes. Like after all that came is when people realized, oh, that movie is like, that movie was, was, was 20 years ahead of its time. But you're right, like, he didn't have to do with Split what he did, but the fact that he, like, brought it back, it was kind of okay because, like, in that moment, people were like, we're finally getting an expansion of this world that, like, the superhero genre has kind of needed. And to bring Split into that world and and, and promise a, a continuation and a conclusion to a story that, had, at that point, was almost 20 years old, People, it got people really excited. It got me really excited. Like, I was ready for something to kind of finally, like, to trilogize and, like, complete that story because it felt like there was so much there that you could explore. Yeah. And Shyamalan held off for basically 20 years. He's just like, ah, it's just not, it's just not there yet. I just don't, I, I, it's not, it's not ready yet. And when he, I feel like when he finally got, like, the, he got the fans behind him again and he got critics behind him again, it was, like, that moment where he was like, I can finally, I can finally do this. Like, people are, people are, like, I'm not getting shit on because I'm making, really bad movies like i'm i'm back in my element a little well, bit like and he his, found his groove again his i guess conceptual creativity mm-hmm. is it kind of requires an audience to be invested in his work um yeah. you you kind of have to be familiar with his work to understand his creative style right um and so i think and and he's not the kind of he's not the kind of director to you know make in most cases to make a brand new movie every single year right but when he does he's gonna kind of push the envelope right and um i think that i think split kind of brought i don't want to say brought his creativity back but i think it all it, it kind of gave him the confidence to start releasing some of these more obscure right. projects that he had the the projects that leaned more towards the original stuff he was doing back in the late 90s and early 2000s right. stuff yeah. he hadn't done in a long time and the last two movies he's done now old and knock at the cabin are uh, to me like like those are like like prime time like prime time Shyamalan like they're based on uh previously written stories but they feel completely there's no other artistic influence other than M Nights on right. both of these movies i think personally especially from visual a visual standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint obviously the stories aren't his but the the way the stories are told feel very much like his own you know his own style unimpeded by a, a studio despite the fact that this is a, a universal project well and this this movie especially and this was kind of my my immediate reaction to seeing this was that it's it might not go down as like an all-time type of film um i don't know that casual fans are going to be talking about this movie you know six seven years from now but when people reflect back on the career of m night Shyamalan, they're going to point to this to the type of movie um, where he was really able to express himself. Right. Um, and, and the concept is, is fairly simple. Yeah. Um, but his execution of it was, 
was some of the best work I think that he's done, like you said, since the 90s and, and early 2000s. Yeah, I think one of the things that's that's bothered me maybe about the newer Shyamalan, at least these last two movies, because honestly, I do, I, do, I do think Split is like one of the better thrillers of the past decade. Like, I think that, yeah. that movie, top to bottom, is fantastic. Um, w- one of the things, though, I think that maybe he's struggled with a little bit in the last two movies, and really the only critique I would have of, of old and of this and of Knock at the Cabin is I feel like his, his scripts just need one more pass. Like sure, not and not even necessarily like for the entire for all three acts. Maybe just for like one or two characters. Yeah, right. I felt that. I really felt that with old. I thought old was like uh, one or two rewrites away from being again one of those movies that just fucking swept the world and people were like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, this is that movie. Like this is that movie. Like there's another Shaman's at another peak in his career. I think Knock at the Cabin is a slight improvement on that in terms of script writing, but I do there's still just a couple elements within the script itself that I just felt like they needed just a little more fleshing out because visually Shyamalan has never been better. This is yeah. one of the best oh, looking yeah. movies I've seen in a while. It's shot on film, it's simplistic, but every shot has this depth and this this complexity to it that adds to the narrative. And it it was honestly it was so much fun just to watch just to just to see it from a visual perspective, but there are some elements within the script, not even like like the the narrative itself, just a couple lines of dialogue, a few lines of dialogue, a few characters overarching lines of dialogue, and how they progress that just feel like they just need just a little more work and obviously, I'm not a script writer, I don't fucking know how to do any of that shit, but like as someone who is a you know a more than just a casual movie girl. Like, when I go and watch movies, those are one of the things I, I notice. Where I'm like, okay, this feels a little... Like, we're, we're missing something here, or something's sure. a little bit too much here. And to kind of get, I guess, into spoilers, one of the things that uh, Jonathan Groff points out, that his character points out at the very end of the movie, is he points out the fact that the four people who 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 invaded their vacation home were the four horsemen. They're the four right. horsemen of the apocalypse. And whereas like in the late 90s and early 2000s, those Shyamalan projects, he didn't really tell you anything. Right. There was never a line of dialogue in in uh, The Sixth Sense or in Signs. There are lines of dialogue that tell you what is happening, but it's in a, it's in, it's in, in a way that when the characters say these lines of dialogue, you don't know that they're telling you what's going on. They're almost, they're they're used almost as like, as just like, as like, like throwaway lines that just like character building moments. And then when you rewatch the movie, you go, holy shit, they're telling me right now what's happening, but I don't, I didn't know. Like I didn't, Shyamalan is very good at showing while like telling you like 50 minutes ago what's really going on. But in this, in this instance, it's like, it's like we've we've talked about like respecting the audience before. It's, yeah. it's like that moment where he's like, they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And like that's a moment where you don't need you don't need that dialogue there. If you if you respect the audience enough to know like, oh, they're gonna figure this out. Like well, eventually I, someone will n- figure it not out. Not only that, but they they might figure it out kind of early. Like I, I think yeah. the I think 
that the the idea of the four horsemen of the apocalypse was kind of central to this story. Yes. And if you're paying close enough attention, you might realize that within the first 25 minutes. Right. The first scene where all four of them are in shot like in frame together. Right. Um right? and and just if you know, you know, if you even know a a general idea of what the story is going to be about, yeah. you can kind of put it together and I agree with you. At at that point it's almost like it's almost just not worth saying, right? And it's it's not that it was necessarily out of place in the film, but it right it wasn't necessary. It, ne- it, why did I say like necessary? That? Necessary. It fit, obviously yeah, it fit within the context of what was going on, but like I think that like Shyamalan is so good, has been so good at like just you know having these twists and these turns, but like the twist doesn't need to be you explaining to the audience what's going on. Right. Cause even if like a casual moviegoer doesn't know that's like the goal of the four characters that are invading this family in their, on their vacation, if they're interested enough and if they care enough, and those are the people you really care about, you care about the people who at the end of the movie go, something's going on here, but I didn't quite catch it. I'm going to go read into it. Like those are the people you those are the people you want to grab, and they'll be better for it by not just give having the answer just explained to them at the very end. Right. Like that was the one. It didn't t- and it didn't like you said it didn't take me out of the movie. I didn't think the movie was was lesser because of it necessarily. Like overall, just in that moment, I was like, man, this would have been that perfect moment where when people go back and watch this movie and they read. They read, you know, they read articles about it and what the, you know, they go on YouTube and look at like what the ending of, what the ending of Knock at the Cabin really means. Like they're going to hear all these things and it's going to expand their appreciation for the project. Whereas now you don't get like that, you don't get that, that desire from viewers who maybe did miss it to go, I'm going to go check this out. I need to, I need to figure out what's going on because there's something, there's something going on, but I can't, I can't place it exact like I well, can't and if if you want to if you want to make it if you want to make it that obvious why not do that with visual cues like right. I, I think to when uh when I they kept calling them plagues when the first plague um was was released on the world or, right, or whatever right. um if you remember right as it was about to happen there was a like a big sun flare through the mirror. Yeah. And that yeah. kept being referenced by one of the characters saying, you know, like I saw something right. Like when, when, when X, Y, Z happened, I saw something in the mirror. Yeah. And those types of visual cues, you could have, I guess, clued us in more to that supernatural side of things. Right. Through those visual cues. And, and I wouldn't expect that, that Shyamalan is one to kind of shy away from that. Right. Uh, but I think I think you're right. Maybe maybe it just wasn't quite as refined as as it could have been. Right. It almost felt like, it just felt like this is the like we have to wrap up. So let's just let's just tell them what's going on. Like yeah. Well, and and to that point, when I first watched it, I thought maybe it felt a little bit rushed. Um, it, it's yeah. it's not all that long of a film. It's like an hour forty. Um. I thought maybe it felt a little bit rushed. Um, looking back, I think 
maybe that was just a matter of of execution rather than writing. Right. I think it has to be written the way that it was because as an audience, we have to understand the urgency. Yes, correct. Like it, 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 there's no, there's really no choice in order to put us in the shoes of the main characters. Um, you have to, you have to show us like, Hey, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. And yeah. there's no break. There's no time to breathe. You get right at, at the very beginning when when the first plague is released, um, you you get to sleep basically, and and right. and it is a little bit slower there at the start, mm-hmm. um, and I think at at that point, I thought the pacing was kind of perfect where it was from mm-hmm. the first plague to the second plague, right? Um, from the second plague to the fourth seemed like a freaking roller coaster yeah could have been slowed down just a bit yeah but i understand why it was written that way yeah i just think that maybe they could have once again to your point added or taken away in different parts of the film in order to be able to slow themselves down just enough right i think you're right like you add in terms of like the visual the visuality the visual cues because with visuals you can you can retain that sense of like increased pace like you can you can you can lean into that yeah take away maybe certain points of dialogue or 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 interactions between characters and lean in more on the visual aspect to kind of keep because i think the the pacing between plague two and plague four is almost necessary because because yeah. in order for the viewer to feel that sense of urgency you have to feel like like that first one you're right like they're like all right we can we'll continue in the morning Time for bed or whatever. Yeah. You also get like the 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 woman who is the mom who's a line cook and has a kid. She's nurturing of the four horsemen. She's the nurturing nurture. Is that what it is? Something something like, like that. that. Um, you get some great moments with her and the daughter between the first and second plagues. Yeah. Whereas with like the, with with the third and fourth, I th- I think. It, it it just it makes sense to kind of just be like we gotta fucking like we gotta go like we don't have any more time for this yeah we're we're fucking we had time but now we don't like well and you were given the with, opportunity to make a choice but now you really have to do like with her and with the nurse mm-hmm. um though that 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 point in the film is necessary to give those characters you kind of pay their respects to them right um the other two. The other two main characters, um, Ron Weasley and Dave Batista, <laughs> yeah, um, they both. I feel like their characters had enough, had enough time throughout the film right. to to show us who they were. Yes, show us yeah. why they were chosen, why they were there. Right. Um, let's actually let's jump off here and talk about WWE superstars, shall Dude, we? Let's let's okay. Yes, this is actually another hot take that you and I share. Dave Batista, if you're listening, yeah, Dave, he's not. He's not. It's okay. I understand. You, you but like are. Dave. Th- this is essentially my version of the hot take. You, you, yeah, you brought it to me, and I fully agree with you. The uh, floor is yours. Dave Batista is a better actor than The Rock. Yes, which, to your point, um, means that Dave Batista is. The best WWE wrestler turned actor ever. And 
I'll do you one better. Do it, please do. It's not even close. Correct. It's not even like it's not even a competition. Right. Like there is no competition. It, there's Dave Batista who has fucking range. Range for days. For days. He is hilarious. He's great in the serious world. I mean, this is emotional. This, like this is ser- like he's obviously been very 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 good in the Guardians movies. Right? But in terms of like like a a a star making like like career changing role, I feel like this is it for for Batista. Yeah, like this is the one where he like he can point to and be like, "Hey, you know how I said I have range? Look at this movie right here." Yeah, because I mean, he is just so he's so convincingly like in the within the like the and this is one of the greatest assets the movie has. He is so visibly like pained by what he's doing to this family. It is very clearly something he does not want any part of yeah something he does not want to do but something that he feels compelled to do something he feels like he has to do like there's no other option than to do what he is doing right now he portrays that so well throughout the movie and why i say it's one of the film's greatest assets is because as the 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 quote-unquote leader of the the four horsemen he he makes it hard as the viewer to kind of decide who's in the right here because yes. the way he carries himself and the way he brings the group through the four plagues and the way he kind of tries to convince the family as to what's going on it it, it makes it, it it's hard it's a tough it's a tough sell for a viewer to just be like oh th- these people are being invaded these guys are wrong and it's a perfect balance between like you think at certain points Okay, these guys are just fucking crazy. Like this makes no sense. We, I can't get behind this. But thirty seconds later, you're like, okay, actually, yeah. And really, as individuals, right? really, only one of them is like a bad person, right? The others, led by Dave Batista, you're you're sympathetic towards them. Um, yeah, and I think, and we'll talk on on Glass Onion. I think eventually, yeah. But also the range that Dave Batista showed doing Glass Onion and Knock at the Cabin in the same year is just yeah. wild. Because it is. and and here's the thing. The I, I suppose the best wrestling superstar turned actor so far has been The Rock. Yeah. Based the most successful. Based, based purely on success. Exactly. Right. But the thing is the Rock is just playing The Rock in every single one of his movies. Yeah, even uh, even when he's Black Adam, he's just The Rock as Black Adam. He's just The Rock, right? He's like he's a, not yeah. he's not playing Black Adam from the comics. No, he's just playing The Rock as a superhero. He's just playing a slightly tweaked version of The Rock. Dave Batista, he conforms to the role that he's playing. He he right. conforms to the script. He actually becomes a character, right? Like and, he and, truly does adapt and and turn himself yes. into someone he's not in real life. Yes. And which, and and going from he he plays like the gentle giant very well. Yes. Um but going from a character like Drax in all the Marvel films yeah to this shows what he's capable of and and to me makes me so excited that he didn't get typecast as a Right, a as Marvel hero, just some uh, some some comic relief guy or 
someone who's just going to bring on all the jokes and the, the dumb humor. Like, And to be fair, glad he didn't just get typecast as like a meathead either. Oh, yeah, totally. And it, he, I don't know, he, I'm so impressed by by his performance in this movie. I think it was... Uh, it was definitely one of the bright spots, if not the bright spot. I would, I would agree. Like and, he and, really shines in the. And in this looking role. back on Glass Onion, he was the bright spot of that movie too. Like he's showing us that he can do. He can, eventually, maybe he deserves a lead role. A legit it, he, lead role. He yeah. May, th- you could consider this kind I think, of a yeah, lead this role, probably. But like he deserves to be in the spotlight for right. sure. I, he's a lead of like one half of the story. In this, because the other half involves the family, yeah, right. Like, but of the of the four, I don't want to say antagonists because by the end of the movie, they're really not. Yeah, like like they're 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 proposed as antagonists. Well, it's, but then, it's like you said, the the antagonist doesn't have to be a villain, right? It, and it's not really black and white in this. It's really not. Yeah, I guess you could movie. you could make the argument. That those four are the protagonists. Are the protagonists? You absolutely yes. could. On one side of the coin, they re- they really are. Yeah. And but you're right to like to have this role that's like probably the closest thing to like a true lead role. Like he's had lead roles in comedies. I know uh, there are a couple like straight to streaming comedies that he's been in where he's been the yeah. lead role. But like as a to take on this role and do what he did, I, it's like we've already said. I can't. I there's not like. There's nothing we can say that probably hasn't already been said, but like this is really like just some truly legit work yeah. that he put into this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and credit to Shyamalan for for believing in him and, and deciding he was the fit for the right fit for this role because it it really fucking worked. Yeah. And it's hard to like. I feel like with with like some of the best performance, like the all time performances that we've talked about before. One of the points we always make is like it's hard to see someone else doing this character. And with Batista here, it it really is hard to see any other actor doing what he did with this character yeah. and doing it to the level that he did it with this character. And I feel like that's probably the the best compliment I can give him is like I couldn't see anyone else doing this. Right. I couldn't see any other actor coming in doing exactly what he did to the to the level that he did it. Yeah, I I completely agree with that, and I think that I think that this could end up being a turning point and he's been he's been very successful oh over, yeah over the last five totally. years or so yeah. um but i think that this could end up being a turning point in the sense that five years from now yeah he'll tell the story about how Shyamalan believed in him to have this role and yeah. that's when his acting career really took off that's when things really when he said he you know he wants to be a more i want to be a more serious actor this is the moment where yes things kind of changed and yeah. turned and, and, and that's when his career went off in that direction and he saw the type of success Absolutely. he was he was looking for yeah. in this phase of his career. Um I tell you what, man. This was like a this is a great way to like start the year off, I feel like. Yeah. Like this was a this was a really solid movie. I um I know this Shyamalan signed a, t- a two-year d- or a two-film deal with Universal, like a two-film, like first-look deal. Because again, like the last two movies he's done, he's a lot of the money that goes into making these movies comes from M Night. Yeah, it doesn't come from Universal. He's or, producing his own like, shit. He puts the majority, from what I again, from what I understand, he puts the majority of the money into producing these. And movies. And props to him. And good for him for doing it. And people like people 
people always say, like, people who don't like Shyamalan movies are always like, why are studios giving him money to make these movies? They're fucking not. They're not giving him yeah. a lot of money to make these movies. He's Not only is he self-producing them, but he's doing it with not a ton of money. Like He's yeah. not making these big tentpole films. And these movies are making hundreds of millions of dollars. He's, like do, he's doing just fine. They're doing very well yeah. with, with earnings. And to see him kind of in staying in this pocket where obviously like these aren't completely original stories, but to, to kind of be in a, in a lane where he is recreating an original story. Like he's not part of some big IP or some cinematic universe. Yeah. He's really just in this lane of like very personal character driven stories. I, I, I can't like, I'm excited that he is where he is right now and that this movie is what it was. And I'm excited to like see what's next because he's to me he's like back in that phase of kind of like being in his groove and, yeah. and you know not having to adhere to a studio's restrictions or or someone else's vision. He's really just getting to recreate what he envisioned in his head, and you can tell you can really you can see it come through on screen. It feels like it kind of feels like the best is yet to come, and I don't know. Just given the work that he's produced, especially with movies like Sixth Sense and Signs, right. I don't know that his, I don't know that the next few years are are going to be some of his quote unquote best. Right. But it feels like we have several years in front of us of just like solid Shyamalan movies, and that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. He kind of well, Shyamalan kind of famously like he kind of nosed himself. Like yeah. he he dropped New York State of Mind as his first like. Sixth Sense was like Shyamalan's version of New York City. Like, yeah. he dropped one of the greatest sci-fi thriller horror movies of all time, and that was the first thing he ever, like, that was the first major release he ever had. Yeah. So, like, to see him, like, and he, honestly, there are a lot of parallels with him and Nas, because Nas is kind of, like, on a, Nas is kind of on, like, back on track a little bit, like, with the last couple of albums he's done. He's here to save rap. And... Not necessarily. No, Lil, Lil Yachty is here. Lil to save. Yachty's here to save rap. Let's be honest. Um, but like to see, like to see him kind of, like I said, back in a groove, back like doing what made him famous and doing it well. Yeah. Not recreating the wheel, like, and that could still come. Like that's one of the greatest things about Shyamalan and about these last couple, these last few movies he's done. Even like going all the way back to Split in 2016, it feels like he's like. He's back on track, and there's that potential there again. Right. Like, you feel that potential with every movie he's making. Like, like he's almost there again where he's going to, like, the next thing he drops could be that thing where you're like, holy shit, mm-hmm. he did it again. And it's just, it's nice to, like, be back in, not be back, but to be in that era of Shyamalan movies where every time I go to the theater now, I'm like, I can't fucking, like, I can't yeah. wait to see what he yeah, does with this absolutely. project. And that was... That was my favorite part. That was one of my favorite parts about this movie is is having that feeling the whole time where I'm like, this is this is this is oh, this is good. My least favorite part about this movie was having to watch that um, Nick Cage Dracula trailer right <laughs> right before that. Actually, that just put um, <laughs> oh come on. I, I might have been at, I might have been at like a solid eight after this movie, uh-huh. uh, but before the movie, I was at a two and a half. And and walking into the theater, I was at like a six. So that's yeah, just there. You go. Anyway, anyway, what would you uh, would you what would you grade this? I think I'd Dominic. I think I'd probably grade this 
just a solid B. Solid B. Uh, B to B plus maybe. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. Like you said, I think it was a great way to kind of kick off this year for film. Yeah. Um, I think that basically what we've talked about this entire time, the, the thing that made me most excited about this movie is that I am now excited about future work from yeah. all of those involved in the film. Correct. Um, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the B to B plus range. Solid, solid film. Well made. So well directed. I don't know if we mentioned this yet. It was shot on film. You can tell it just, it comes through so well on the silver screen. It's just, it's beautiful to see. And I'm glad, I'm glad it was shot that way. I'm glad it was shot the way it was. Shyamalan's always been an impressive director from a visual perspective. And to me, this is one of like his standout visual productions that he's, he's put together. So I agree. Good stuff. Really good stuff. All right. Well, it's that time of year where everyone's looking for new podcasts to listen to. Oh yeah. Um, so your new year's resolution is to your get year, into, get into podcasting to, to a little add more. podcast to your library, right? Yeah. Like who isn't looking to do that at any given moment? What can I find that's unique? That's different. Oh, not I to say we're, are we different? I don't know. Maybe I, we're not. Maybe I we're thought just of what you of, could do. Oh yeah. You could tell your friends. Oh, tell your husbands and wives your, and your parents and, and brothers and sisters and your, your and dogs. Tell your dog and tell tell your dogs and your dog. You know what? You know why? Because <laughs> we have a dog on this podcast every yeah every episode. And while we're trying to record, listen, he's the most. He just lays around all lazy and shit. Yeah. And the second we hit that little that little red record button, he gets antsy. He said, "This is my show now." You have he been. Said, I'm I'm the the host now. You have been consistently just because I know we're audio only. You have been consistently and aggressively petting your dog. Yeah, dude. For the past forty plus and, minutes, and it's now. still not enough. And it's still not quite enough. I'm over here. I'm over here, like patting his belly, <laughs> giving him back scratches, and the guy is just. He's just like, Dad. Come, he's keep, just, do it, keep doing it. He never it, Dad. appreciates. He's never thanked me once. You know that. He's not appreciative at all. No. He can't. He never says, "Hey, Dad." Hey, Dom, thank you. When was the last time he served me dinner? I don't know. Never. Never. What a freeloader. Oh my gosh, right? God. Dom, we're available on... We're available. We're available pretty much everywhere. We're available via email, by the way. Email. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. Shout out to SoundCloud and all our SoundCloud listeners. We love you. We appreciate you. We're on Stitcher. We're on name of podcast app that I don't know that is a podcast app that for some reason people use other than the ones we've already named. Which would be, by the way, weird. Really weird. But also thanks. But we appreciate you. Thank you for listening to your random podcasting app. Maybe it's maybe it's really user-friendly and we just don't know about it. Anyway, uh, you can send us an email at frontrowmedia one at gmail.com. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Front Row Podcast. Podcast. Um, send us a message there. Leave us a review on any of the platforms we just mentioned. And uh, we will see you soon. And we love you. And we ain't never going to stop and loving we, you. We love you. And we kiss you. And, and, and I love you. Never stop. And I, and hey. I miss you. And. <sighs> All right, that's it. That's all. What more could you want? <laughs> what more could you? How how else would we could we end it? Good night, Seriously. guys. Go listen to the album, Dom.